0: Welcome to Global Questions by YDS, the podcast breaking down global politics for young people who want to know more. Hello, I'm Joshua.
1: And I'm Jen. You're listening to The Wrap-Up, your fortnightly dose of international
0: news. Hugh is away at the moment, so Jen is back in the co-hosting chair for this episode. It's good to have you back on The Wrap-Up.
1: Yeah, great to be here. Bit of nostalgia for me. Can't wait to get stuck into it.
0: Yeah, let's do it.
1: Over the last few days, we've been reporting over 40,000 cases every day. But now the bigger worry is whether it's mutant variants of coronavirus disease that are leading to the spike in cases. It's easy to forget how COVID is affecting other countries, whilst in Australia, we're easing back into a type of normality as the vaccine is being rolled out. But India is actually experiencing a strain that is being called the double mutant, which sounds kind of terrifying.
0: It does, we've heard a lot about mutant strains in the last 12 months, but a double mutant strain sounds very new. So what is it?
1: So the government came out recently with an analysis that stated that the virus had actually evolved in India. A genome sequencing study of about 10,000 samples found this strain in 18 states, along with variants- And there were more samples of the virus with the E484Q and the L452R mutants and the numbers and letters that I just kind of described and throughout you there just make up that double mutant strain it's kind of evolving a lot quicker in India than it is in other areas of the world
0: so how worried should we be then
1: well Mutations can make the virus better at infecting people or it can help the virus neutralise antibodies. So it means you're not as able to combat the virus. This means if the virus mutates in the right kind of way, it can reinfect some people who have already recovered from COVID. But scientists are saying that reinfection will be very mild compared to primary infected people. But if reinfection spreads then it would be penetrating herd immunity. So India's basis and kind of reliability on herd immunity would lose out, essentially. And India's new double variant is not likely to be more deadly, though, or more inherently transmissible, but there needs to be more data on this to make sure.
0: Can this be linked back to the wave of new infections that we're seeing across India, do you think?
1: It's one of the options, I think, because India recently reported 47,262 cases and 275 deaths on Wednesday. And that's the sharpest daily rise this year.
0: Prime Minister Narendra Modi says the country is doing a lot better than others, despite data showing India has the fastest growing number of infection globally. And the
1: director of the Hyderabad Centre of Cellular and Molecular Biology said the double variant had been found in 20% of the cases so that's kind of one suspicion that this mutant strain is affecting that spike, but then there's a whole other 80% of samples that aren't included. It's good to be aware of these changes of the, to the virus because it's really affecting some countries and we're just really lucky in Australia to be able to go back to normality whilst other countries are just dealing with new versions every single day.
0: Jen, that was a spokeswoman from China's Foreign Ministry, launching an extraordinary attack on some really famous Western brands. Just last week, the Chinese government called for consumers to boycott companies like H&M, Nike, Adidas, Zara, and Burberry. And if you watched the news over the weekend, you would have seen that Chinese consumers certainly listened. There was footage online of Nike shoes being burnt, and major Chinese celebrities also cancelled their advertising contracts with these brands. And out of all of the companies that I mentioned, arguably H&M has been hit the hardest.
1: Not only can you not buy anything for H&M's official store, it's been shut down, you can't find any searches on shopping sites, but you can't even find H&M on map apps anymore. So why is the Chinese government so angry at Western companies?
0: Well, it's largely because of statements that these companies made last year, criticising China for some human rights abuses. You see, there's a lot of evidence that China is persecuting Muslim Uyghurs who live in Xinjiang, a region in northwest China.
1: We chatted about the situation in Xinjiang on Global Questions a few months ago. I actually interviewed Nathan Rusa, researcher, and Nuria Yu, a Yuga woman. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, you should go and check it out. But for those who aren't fully aware of what's happening in Xinjiang, can you give us a bit of a quick overview?
0: Sure. So, Uyghurs make up about 80-90% to 90% of Xinjiang's population. And they have a very different culture, language and religion to the rest of mainland China. China conquered the region about 250 years ago. And ever since then, some Uyghurs have wanted independence. And China views that as a real threat. So, since 2014, it's increasingly cracked down on the region. And it's becoming really clear that China is violating human rights in some really, really disturbing ways. And a bit of a content warning here what I'm about to mention includes references to sexual abuse. So it's alleged that China has illegally imprisoned about two million Uyghurs in prisons that are pretty much concentration camps. And conditions within these camps are horrific. Uyghurs are forced to undergo aggressive brainwashing, they're exploited. They're sexually abused, in some cases gang-raped, and even tortured.
1: Tass and Wooden, is reliving a story she can barely bring herself to tell.
0: They had an electric baton. It was pushed into my private parts, and I was tormented with electric shocks. Evidence also suggests that Beijing is forcibly sterilizing weaker women. And on top of that, The government is taking Uyghur children away from their parents and putting these children in state-run orphanages. It's demolishing culturally significant buildings and outlawing Uyghur culture and language. It's so bad that many countries say that it meets the definition of genocide.
1: It's horrific,
0: honestly. It really is. And this is where Western clothing stores come into the picture. So China is forcing Uyghurs to pick cotton in Xinjiang, and make clothes in factories across the country. In fact, it's thought that as many as one in five items of clothing worldwide has been made by Uyghurs who are imprisoned in Chinese camps. So that's 20% of your wardrobe. And a lot of major companies have come under pressure for this, and in response, they've issued statements condemning the persecution of Uyghurs.
1: But if they issued statements last year. Why is China only reacting now?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. It looks like China is targeting these companies to get revenge on Western governments for recent decisions that they've made. So just last week, Britain, Canada, the US and the European Union imposed sanctions on the officials who run these camps. Well, Leslie, the US in conjunction with the EU, UK and Canada are announcing new sanctions against two current Chinese government officials for what the Treasury Department is calling serious human rights abuses in Xinjiang. Now, Beijing was not happy with that and said it would impose penalties on Western nations in return. And it looks like the targeting of these fashion companies is one part of that.
1: sounds like tensions are pretty high. So where does it all go from here then?
0: Well, I think there's going to be three main issues going forward. First of all, there's queries around what Nike, H&M, and other companies are going to do. Are they going to take back their criticism of China and ignore what's happening? Or will they continue to stand up for Uyghurs? But in doing so, risk being shut out of the Chinese market, which is the largest in the world. Second, it shows that Western governments are beginning to jointly confront China In relation to its human rights violations. So for example, here in Australia we're currently considering banning anything made in Xinjiang from entering the country and the US and the UK are also considering similar laws. But finally, I think the whole situation shows just how aggressive China is willing to be, especially when other nations critique it. I think all of this raises major questions about China's relationship with the rest of the world, And then also the ongoing treatment of weaker people who right now are facing terrible, terrible conditions.
1: I feel like this situation just gets worse and worse every time I read about it or hear about it.
0: Yeah, the more we learn about it, the worse it seems to be.
1: Over the last few years, the very deeply rooted crisis in Venezuela caused more than five million persons to flee across the country borders. And has also caused a, a real deterioration in relations between Colombia and Venezuela. Venezuela's military says it's been fighting Colombian armed groups in rural areas for decades now. and. Colombians are being forcibly displaced due to the conflict and not being able to live their lives in that border region. Essentially, Colombia and Venezuelan tensions have been rising due to the pressures of the pandemic, but mostly because of the decades-old conflict. The International Committee of the Red Cross released a report that said 389 people were killed by explosive devices in 2020 and most victims were civilians.
0: So how did all of this conflict start then?
1: Okay, well, time to strap in a little bit. I'll begin with the events in 2010 when there was a standoff between Colombia and Venezuela over allegations that the Venezuelan government was actively permitting the Colombian Revolutionary Armed Forces to seek haven in its territory. This Issue was ultimately resolved, but then in 2013, a new issue arose as election fraud was alleged against a Colombian politician by a Venezuelan politician. Then in 2015, there was a border dispute. According to the Venezuelan government, Colombian militants were allegedly involved in attacks on Venezuelan soldiers in the area, as well as illegal activities such as smuggling gasoline and other basic goods.
0: So how did this all build into what we're now seeing today?
1: In 2018, when Trump was elected, he made comments that he would actually intervene in the conflict by sending military to Venezuela.
0: We have many options for Venezuela, including a possible military option, if necessary.
1: And the Colombian government tried to distance itself from those comments, yet Venezuela kind of took off with it and started to attack bridges and issue airstrikes. And things just kind of started to snowball from there. Maduro cut off diplomatic ties with Colombia. All embassies and consulates were closed and diplomats were evacuated. Colombia's defence minister summoned the media to gain evidence proving Venezuela was sheltering and coordinating with the National Liberation Army to plan an attack against Colombia. So all these events have caused such considerable tension And along the border between Venezuela and Colombia, people are just not able to return to their homes or enjoy their lives.
0: 4,000 Venezuelans are seeking shelter in Colombia's border town, Arauquita, following days of clashes and bombings between Venezuela's military and a Colombian armed rebel group. So
1: it will be interesting to see if they can come to an agreement at some point and get these people back to their homes.
0: We're going to leave South America now and travel north by about 800 kilometres to Haiti. So just last week, the UN Security Council did something that's pretty rare. It passed a unanimous resolution. And that resolution calls on Haiti's president, Jovenel Moïse, to fix the constitutional security and humanitarian crises that are overwhelming the country.
1: For the UN Security Council to do that, things must be pretty bad. What's been going on?
0: Well, let's first of all take a look at the constitutional crisis. So over the last few months, riots have been engulfing the country as protesters call for President Moïse to step down. Now, Haiti's politics have always been pretty turbulent. It's had 21 presidential administrations since 1986. But President Moïse's rule has been particularly controversial. He only narrowly won the 2016 election and there were claims that he did so using voter fraud. Massive protests took place at the time and due to the chaos, Moïse wasn't actually sworn in until 2017, over a year after the election had taken place. And that has now created uncertainty as to when his five-year term ends. So opposition groups say that because the elections were held in 2016, his term ended in February 2021, so just last month. But Moise has refused to step down. He claims that because his term only actually started when he was sworn in in 2017, he has another year left in power.
1: And that's why people are protesting?
0: That's one of the key reasons. But it's not the only one. Moïse has announced plans to rewrite the entire constitution of Haiti, and these changes that he's proposed would give him significant power. First of all, it would allow him to run for a second term, but it would also give him control of the military and prevent him from being prosecuted for any crimes he commits while he's president. What's more, it would abolish the role of the prime minister and get rid of the upper house of parliament. So all of that has led the opposition to claim that Moïse is trying to seize power and establish a dictatorship, and in light of Haiti's history of violent dictatorships, a lot of people are sharing that concern, but it's arguably a little bit more complicated than that. Most Haitians agree that the current constitution is unworkable and helped create the current political crisis that we're seeing. And second, President Moïse has actually said that he won't run for president again, or try to stay in power. But a lot of Haitians clearly don't trust him. Last month, the opposition declared that they were going to elect an alternative president, and that led Moïse to claim that they were organizing a coup. President Moïse told reporters his political rivals had plotted to overthrow his government and have him killed. Twenty-three opposition leaders were arrested on Moïse's orders, and that made the protests that we've seen in recent months even bigger. Hundreds of thousands of people have taken to the streets in demonstrations that have turned deadly.
1: This was a day promising revolution against President Moisa. It was consistently and indiscriminately stamped out. Drive-by shootings by the police, continuous.
0: But the situation is so chaotic that even some police have been protesting. And there's been evidence that they've actually been setting fire to parts of Port-au-Prince, Haiti's capital. On top of all of this, the judiciary has gone on strike and parliament is practically non-existent after President Moïse dissolved it.
1: The UN also mentioned a security crisis. What's going on there?
0: Well, the Security Council was referring to powerful armed gangs that are wreaking havoc across Haiti. These gangs have grown in power as the government collapses, And they're responsible for a series of murders, rapes, and other violence across the country. They're also linked to a 200% increase in kidnappings. The risk of being kidnapped in Haiti is now so high that residents fear leaving their homes even to buy food. In fact, there have been reports that students in Haiti's schools have been organising fundraisers in order to collect ransoms to free their classmates.
1: Wow. How is this affecting ordinary people in Haiti?
0: Well, it's clearly having a terrible impact. Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere already, and between 50 to 80% of Haitians survive on less than $3 a day. And given the current situation that's happening with the government, there's arguably no relief in sight.
1: Haiti is pretty close to the US. So, what has it had to say about all of this?
0: Well, despite the chaos, the US is actually currently supporting President Moise and want him to hold elections in a year's time, but are happy for him to stay in power in the interim. But it's arguably unclear how long the US can continue to support President Moise, especially with the violence that's currently being inflicted on protesters. And so experts are saying that this is actually a major test for President Biden going forward.
1: Yeah, there seems to be a lot going on there.
0: Well, that is all for this wrap-up, so make sure you check out next week's in-depth episode where Jen will be interviewing two experts on Islam, gender and democracy in Indonesia.
1: And follow us, the Young Diplomat Society, on Facebook or Instagram for more great analysis and content.
0: We'll see you next week.